welcome back to QAV, Tony. This is episode 609. We're recording this on the 28th of February, 2023. About, uh, what is it, 1.13pm Brisbane time, 2.13pm Cape Shake time. How's uh, how's life down at the Cape property, Tony? Oh, lovely. Uh, Jen's down here this week, so we're having a break, which is lovely. Oh, just been relaxing and doing jigsaws and went out for lunch yesterday. Yeah, it's all good. She's having a massage tomorrow. I'm playing golf. Jigsaws. Oh, yeah. I love the jigsaws down here. Are these some of the ones that Taylor sold you during uh, COVID? Oh, we've done those years and years ago. So I don't know where they are. No, the, um, I got three for Christmas because people know I like doing them down here. So, um, Jenny gave me one of a, a map of the Mornington Peninsula, like a hand-drawn painting of all the attractions and things. So that was good. Just finished that one. Um, I've, Alex has given me one of the Eiffel Tower, and I guess in reference to our trip we did with you to Europe. So I'm doing that one next. And I've got another one from my sister of some windmills and tulips. So I'll save that one till last. I would rather have my toenails slowly pulled out with a pair of pliers Chrissy's into well, doing it can Lego be arranged. With <laughs> <laughs> That's something Chrissy will uh, arrange, I think, in time. Um, she loves doing Lego. I bought her uh, uh, like one of the adult Lego sets for her birthday. It's a, it's a bunch of flowers to go in a vase, which she loves doing it. I can't think of anything worse, like fiddly things. I love Lego. Oh, I hate I hate fiddly things. As a kid, used to get those, you know, the model airplanes and stuff. I Hated them. Oh, I loved it. Okay. Uh, I don't have I don't have good fingers or patience for that kind of stuff. No, I love it. I've always loved that sort of stuff. I used to make a lot of Lego when I was a kid and love designing new things too. Um, you know, helicopters and hovercrafts and all sorts of things. It was great fun. And uh, it's I religiously buy them for my nieces and nephews as presents. Oh, Fox is obsessed with Lego. You should come and Love to spend a day in his room. It's it's like a it's like a Lego zoo in his room. I should <laughs> send you some photos. Uh, he loves it. Uh, it's good. Like he's been watching. Do you, do you know this? Um, you probably don't, but there's a YouTuber called Mark Rober. He's an ex NASA and Apple engineer, and now he's got like 25 million followers on YouTube. He does engineering videos. He uh, a couple of his most famous ones. He designed a glitter bomb. Uh, to go on a package on front doorsteps to stop people stealing uh, packages in the US. They, yeah, yeah. And then he's done a couple of versions of that. And then he did another very famous one where he built like a, 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 a like a series of hurdles for squirrels in his backyard where they had to uh, go achieve certain challenges to get the, the walnuts, which was very big. Anyway, he's done a million, and they're all engineering-based, and they're great. He's really, really good. And Fox is obsessed with his stuff. But he said to me the other day, I, I think I want to be an engineer when I grow up, which is cool, right? I was like, yeah, it's good on Mark Rober. He's inspiring kids to become engineers. Oh, that's fantastic. Or at least to think about it as an option, you know, because he makes it, he makes being an engineer look cool. So that's great. I love it. And I think Lego's part of that too, you know. He loves then going and designing stuff and building stuff in Lego. I think Lego's fabulous. Drives me nuts, but I think it's great. <laughs> I must admit, I, I prefer the way Lego used to be when I was a kid, where you just buy a box of bricks and then you, you could make 
your own things out of it, whereas now you're, you know, because of, of all the franchises, you're pretty much stuck building the Star Wars, you know, figurine that they give you, um, the X-Wing fighter. All the parts are sort of pre-made for that now, which I don't really like as much as being able to design your own X-Wing fighter and build it from scratch. Yeah. Well, I think you can still do that. You can still go and buy just the basic bricks, but, yeah, the stores are more designed for the uh, custom builds, but they must be a great business. Like how much, what would it cost to churn out a Lego brick? You know, like fractions, micro sets, they sell them for, like the Eiffel Tower one's like a 1000 bucks. It's a great story. I mean, I, I'm just trying to remember where I saw it. There must have been a documentary about it, but um, uh, it, the guy who did it, I've forgotten his name now, back in the, you know, the 20s or whatever, built wooden toys first of all. And then um, plastics came in and he eventually came up with the current design, which was the circle, which is the Lego clutch where they two bricks hold together with no sort of binding because of the circles on top and, and the hollow on underneath. Yeah, and it just went on from there. Yeah, really great success story. Well, get, show Fox um, that uh, James May's Toy Stories. There's a whole episode in there where he builds a house from scratch out of Lego, a real house that you can get, you can go into, including that he builds a toilet and puts a brown Lego brick in the bottom of it. <laughs> <laughs> that would appeal to Fox. That's exactly. eight-year-old boy humour. Yeah. Anyway, let's get on to less uh, less happy stories. <laughs> Tough day in the market yesterday. It's recovered a little bit today. I notice. Uh, like it's rebounded quite a bit today, sort of 50% of the dive yesterday, but it just dived from 7.512 yesterday morning to 7.432 and then bounced around a little bit in the afternoon, according to, I don't know, Perth Now, talking from the AAP. Local share market has suffered its worst day of losses in almost eight weeks following signs inflation in the U.S., is proving remarkably sticky. The S&P ASX 200 index finished Monday down 82.2 points or 1.12% to 7224.8, while the broader all ordinaries dropped 93.1 points or 1.24% to 7419.6. It was the ASX's second worst performance of the year uh, after a decline on January 3rd. Uh, so look, lift your game, US. <laughs> you're hurting. You're hurting our markets. Well, or, or uh, lower your game, US. The problem over there is um, inflation's higher than what people thought it was. So people are still spending, and, and therefore the analysts are now forecasting a 0.5 percent increase in interest rates at the next Reserve meeting over there. Yeah, but like again, this is uh, we'll talk about it when we talk about the Buffett letter. But you know, the, again, so inflation came out. I don't know what I think they were expecting four and a half percent, and it was four point eight, some something like that. Could have the numbers wrong, but it was you know thirty basis points higher than what they thought. And they go bananas. They they wipe. They think the U.S. market dropped one point eight percent on Friday, um, which is you know one of the Difficulties of being an Australian investor is you see that on Saturday morning when you wake up and you think, shit, I can't do anything about it because I know on Monday the market's going to open here, it's going to go down. So just have to wade through it. But um, our market didn't go down as far as the US. I think the, uh, what did I read on the weekend? The uh, 
US market was down 2.7 or 2.8% for the week, which is a huge fall. So there's still, you know, still a fair bit to happen to come to grips with inflation at the moment. Uh, it's still got to play out. I think the thing that's been boggling my mind over the last week or two, we talked about this last week, is all of these companies coming out with great-looking reports in Australia, half-yearly reports. They've obviously had a bit of a, a tailwind over the last, uh, or some of them over the last year because of the Ukraine war and supply-side issues and all these sorts of things, you know, and then on the other side you've got inflation and interest rates going up. But you know, they're coming out with record profits and then their market price will just, their share <laughs> price will just tank. Uh, and, you know, I've seen people in our forums just scratching their heads about it. And you know, some in some cases, they've reported a good half yearly result, but their projections for the rest of the year aren't too strong. In other cases, their projections are fine. I think XTE was an example yesterday, but the share price still just took a beating. Yeah, well, someone's asked the question about that, so I'll save my comments until then. But um, I did note XT's gone through its three-point trend line sell price today. I think you were saying beforehand you had to sell it from the dummy portfolio. Yeah, I held on this morning because it was only one cent below the three PTL, and I thought, yeah, you know, the market's going to be up today. They say so. I'll go to Kung Fu and I'll worry about it when I get home. I got home and it dropped down to fifty-eight and a half cents, and I was like, ah, <laughs> oh, damn it. <laughs> Speaking of um, uh, things breaking through their 3PTL, uh, I was just talking to you before the show about GNC, Grandcorp, and you pointed out that there is a futures chart on Stock Doctor for wheat, and when we had a look at it, it's W hash for people that want to have a look at it. Um, wheat is a Josephine and is about to become a sell by the looks of it. It's uh, very, very close to the sell line, which means we'll have to dump our GNC. And <laughs> is there anything else that's uh, grain-related that we should look at that's on our buy list often? I can't think of it. It's, grain court's probably the only one, and that's the the grain handle that sends things overseas. It does tend to to perform along with the grain price. Um and it's it's bottomed out and is going it's going up again like uh, just just bottomed out in the last three or four months and it's going up again so it's climbing it's climbing up in a zigzag pattern so even though it crosses it may well come back if it does cross its sell line going up. Mm. Well, so that's uh, we'll start tracking that as of this week in our uh, com status tab in the buy list. Yeah, I did notice a couple of other reports came out for, for stocks on the buy list and stocks I own. So Woodside reported just recently, tripled its profit, um, largely due to the merger with the BHP oil and gas operations. And uh, it's it's uh, dividends way up as well. So that was a good result. Uh, Stanmore Coal I saw came out, the coking coal provider, and their profit was 20 times last year's numbers, but their share price went down. So. I think analysts are kind of looking for future guidance in particular. They always are, but in particular now because they know that it's been a good half. They want to know what's going to happen. And if they don't get every I dotted and every T crossed when they're presenting this, the share, the companies can have their stock price marked down. Like, for example, Qantas was the other one I was going to mention. Their, their profit level, they haven't made a profit for three years, I think, and this is the first year they have. They made a billion dollars, and their share price came down came off 10% um, 
largely because people thought it was as good as it was going to get. And uh, with increased competition, they won't be able to maintain their margins. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, the funny thing is, like, nothing changed the day from the day before the results were announced in terms of the competition or or the issues that caused the sell-off. So there was obviously some kind of, um, there was probably something in the results announcement which someone picked up on and extrapolated from. But uh, Qantas went down, it's back up again today. I've bought some. I, um, I, I'm not sure that, that that kind of 10% sell-off in a day is the right reaction to a good result, really, so we'll see. There's an old saying too, buy on the rumour, sell on the facts. Do you th- think a lot of the funds buy, if they think they're going to have a good result, then they report the good result and then they just take their profits and move on? Well, it's possible. I, I haven't heard of anyone doing that, but it's possible, yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about the QAV report just quickly. Uh, the dummy portfolio improved a bit again this last week. Surprisingly, we're up about 16.14% CAGA per annum over the, what is it now, September 2019, three and a half years, you know, a little bit less. Uh, versus the benchmark, which retreated a little bit last week. It's now up 7.09% CAGA per annum. So we're doing a little bit better than double uh, the benchmark since inception. For the financial year, we're still way behind, though. We're up 6.48% versus the STW, up 17.96%. In the last seven days, uh, took a beating from AMP. I actually had to sell AMP out of the dummy portfolio yesterday. It's the first thing I've had to sell since I think about November. So it's been a good run for the dummy portfolio. But uh, yeah, AMP took a real beating over the last couple of weeks. And I ended up buying three stocks to replace it because uh, I had two parcels of AMP, double the pain. <laughs> I'm in the same boat. Yeah. HLI, DUR, and BRI are what I replaced it with. And I have no idea how they're doing today. But uh, uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, We had a Yahoo Finance article go up. And I have to congratulate Phil Muscatello. Phil uh, from Shares for Beginners emailed me this morning and said, Hey, um, I just had a huge spike in my traffic and I went to look and it's this Yahoo Finance article that's written about Tony. Uh, apparently Taylor wrote it and I said, yeah, kind of. <laughs> and uh, and then I emailed it to Taylor and said, hey, Phil got a spike and Taylor went and had a look. And apparently in the article where it says Tony co-host of the QAV podcast, instead of linking to our website, he linked to Phil's website. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> He said, oh, you're going to hate me. He said, I must have just, I don't know, Googled Tony's name and pulled a link up. I'm like, dude, what the hell? So you're welcome, Phil. All, yeah. that, free, all that free traffic. We just, Taylor called me last night before we worked this out and told me it was the uh, number one trending article on Yahoo Finance yesterday was that article. So uh, if people haven't seen that, go up uh, to Yahoo Finance. It was called uh, something like Three Life Lessons from One of Australia's Best Investors. Um, What were the three life lessons, Tony? (laughs) Start early, 
start investing early, be the snowball, uh, buy a house and pay it off, and don't do things that are cool. Those were the three life lessons. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you for your contribution to Phil's uh, listenership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you owe us, Phil. You owe us one. So does Taylor. <laughs> Jeez, what are you going to do? Uh, Ray, Dalio, Ray Dalio is exiting Bridgewater. I read this big article on him the other day. Hedge fund multi-billionaire paid billions to quit his own company. One of Wall Street's most powerful titans will be paid billions to walk away from the $180 billion hedge fund he founded in his New York flat almost 50 years ago. According to a report by the New York Times, US multi-billionaire Ray Dalio had negotiated secret regular payments through a special class of stock informally named Ray Shares worth billions of dollars. Dalio, who has an estimated net worth of $27.4 billion, gave up control of Bridgewater in October. The mighty hedge fund, which manages $180 billion in capital, although the 73-year-old retired last year, he kept his seat on the firm's board. What a piker. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Warren and uh, Charlie are still going into their 90s. He uh, stepped away. I didn't. I hadn't heard about that. Had you heard about that? Uh, I've I read a similar article. I'm just making a note now about being paid to leave the company, though, once I get, <laughs> yeah, 73, yeah, a few billion dollars. That'd be nice. Secret shares. Secret shares. <laughs> <laughs> it, tells you, it tells you where his head is at, though, isn't it? Like he's been paid billions to step down um, in secret and Warren's giving away 90% of his wealth to, to charity. <laughs> And I sort of, I see Ray on, I don't know, Instagram or TikTok or something from time to time. He does a lot of video content. I haven't, I hadn't heard him talk about uh, him leaving. But yeah, no, it's interesting. I guess he's got other things he wants to do, but it, it's, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I just can't imagine building something like that and walking away from it. Oh, he's been, being paid well too. Well, speaking of uh, decisions, we <laughs> we were quoting Charlie Munger last week about uh, he said it's something like the the number one problem he sees in businesses is denying reality. How um, things change and people just uh, can't get their head around it, deny the reality of the situation, keep doing what they've always been doing, and then I saw I think the next day. In the Financial Review, uh, an opinion article by senior correspondent Aaron Patrick entitled The Reality Defying Optimism of ASX CEOs. <laughs> the gap between how some CEOs describe their company's performance and reality seems to have become unusually large. Blue Scope's 64% profit fall was encouraging, Chief Executive Mark Vassella wrote in the Steelmakers' <laughs> earnings statement on Monday because it demonstrated the company's resilience when prices dropped. In an interview on Sky News, he argued that after very high steel prices, what we are seeing here is a reversion to a more normalised steel price. Still, the outlook is bright. There are massive plans for building green energy infrastructure in North America, he said, and quite a backlog of demand for cars. Vassella was promoting his stock. The pitch failed. He ignored or glossed over 
reality. Bluescope shares fell 10% on Monday after investors worked out that the results included a 100 million profit downgrade. And then he goes on to say the CEO, CEO sales job, and we've talked about this on the show many times in the past, all CEOs are salesmen. They sell themselves to staff, directors, customers, and shareholders. They're paid optimists. A public company CEO who says, we really blew it this half, but there's a 50-50 chance we can turn the business around in two years is unlikely to survive long, no matter how honest the statement. But the gap between how some CEOs describe their company's performance and reality seems to have become unusually large. Um, now, you've you know, you've known a lot of CEOs in your time. You've watched a lot. You've played up in the upper echelons of the corporate world. Tony, your wife has been up in the upper echelons for most of her career. What do you think about CEOs and denying reality? Is it getting worse or has it always been a problem? Or is it what they're paid to do, deny reality? Well, it's always been a problem and it's, it is what they're paid to do. I, you know, I wouldn't call it denying reality because I think they understand perfectly well what the reality is, they're, but they're spin doctors. That's I've, I've always felt very uncomfortable around people who do that. I think it's psychopathic myself. It's it's just to, to, to know, like to stand in a meeting and watch the CEO lie basically trying to put a spin on a, like trying to shine up a piece of shit and to, to make it shine, um, which is their job. So I get it, but but they could take a leaf out of Warren Buffett's book. I mean, you, you look at it, almost every year he starts off with his annual letter, and I fucked up, people. I made a mistake. <laughs> I made this mistake. I made that mistake. And that just gets it straight off, out of the way, Clears the deck. You you actually feel a bit sympathetic for him, and then he tells you about the results. The difference being that Warren can't get fired. Well, that's true. Um, yeah, no, that's true. So he doesn't have to sing for his supper, which I guess is the. I mean, that's that's how these people get into. You know, it's it's evolutionary, really. The person who gets the top job in a public company, unless they're the founder or the son of the founder or daughter of the founder, they're generally someone who's just been successful at hiding problems and managing upwards. That's that's really all it is. That's I've seen it a hundred times. Um, it's annoying because they're not the best person to run the company, not even close to the best person to run the company, but they just happen to be the one that evolutionarily succeeds. And and don't don't forget there's survivor bias here. There's another hundred people who tried to put good spin on things who got found out and didn't get promoted. So, you know, that's that <laughs> below the person who's spinning are the people who's copying the spinner. So that's not doesn't bode well for these organizations either. But yeah, I'm I'm not a fan of it. I I don't see how anyone could be a fan of it. And I don't I don't see how they think they can be doing a good job for their company by spinning like that. It's just it's pattern lying, really. And why are the boards allowing them to do this? I mean, it's the boards that hire them. It's the boards that fire them. Surely the people on the boards are smart enough to know when they're spinning everything and things aren't going well. Uh, are their conversations with the board different to their conversations to the staff and the public? No. Oftentimes the board's ex-CEOs. They're the past masters. So they're all in on it. Absolutely. I mean, I've, I've sat in board meetings where they spend two hours over a sentence, you know. But if we say this, they'll think that. If we say this, it'll look better. It's just, you know, you've got to do a certain amount of that and you've got to have things legal and 
and the PR people will get involved to try and spin it the best. But but yeah, there's a lot of time and effort devoted in public companies to signing off on announcements that then bomb because they're patently lies. Yeah. And it comes back to continuous disclosure too. I mean, technically, you use the blue scope example, and I, I don't know it um, in detail, but if if it took them to the announce the market announcement of their results to discover a hundred million dollar profit shortfall, uh, and the CEO didn't call it out even during the announcement, how does that how is that continuous disclosure to the market? Yeah, so I mean that's the that's the game, isn't it? That so you know I, I probably shouldn't pick on Blue Scope because I don't uh, I don't know the details of the situation, but you'd have to say they found a problem and they said okay, we can go to the market and tell them and suffer a, a share price reduction now or we can try and dance a bit faster, see if the problem goes away and then when the results come out and we have to tell them, we'll just try and hide it and spin it. It's just I mean, it's just shocking, shocking corporate governance. It really is. Reminds me of something Warren said in his uh, annual letter, which we'll get to next. But speaking of psychopaths, I don't know if you saw my post about this, but some political scientist um, in the US has just come out with a book about psychopaths in power and how they're the cause of a lot of the world's problems. Um, and it's getting a ton ton of media coverage. Really? <laughs> Obviously got a much better publisher than we had for our book three years ago that said exactly the same thing. Get Tyler the right Yahoo Finance article and then link it to our book rather than his. <laughs> uh, he'll link it to this guy's book probably, yeah. But also the other leaf out of Warren Buffett's book is he doesn't give guidance. He just says, you know, I'm not going to give guidance because I don't want you playing with the share price based on what you think is going to happen or, you know, I can't I can't forecast in 12 months what's going to happen, so I'm not going to give guidance. But, you know, clearly in some of the cases we're talking about, they love to go out at the start of the year and say, oh, it's going to be fantastic this year. We're doing this, that and the other thing and yeah. building new green steel works and all this kind of stuff. And then, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully the share price goes up and they can cash in or they can leave before they have to, before the chickens come home to roost. Which, you know, I guess the bottom line is what you've taught us for the last three or four years we've been doing the show is don't listen to the stories. If I want to hear a story, I'll buy a book. Don't listen to the stories that the media are telling you, that the CEOs are telling you. Just look at the facts. And the facts are demonstrated by the numbers which is why we look at the numbers. And not even all the numbers. As we, Again, we'll see in Warren's letter. Look at, the, look at the ones they can't manipulate easily. The real numbers, yeah. Look at cash flow. So it was Christmas for value investors uh, <laughs> this week. Uh, the Berkshire Hathaway annual uh, letter from Warren came out. Um, and, oh, my God, it was such a great read. There's so many great lines in this. I know you've got a bunch of things you want to talk about. I'll kick it off with some of my favourite quotes from it. Um, the disposition of money unmasks humans. Mr. Dalio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, there's the saying that I, I used in our psychopath book and so did this other guy, um, uh, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But you, you see that money unmasks, you know, 
people's real levels of honesty and integrity and, and how they deal with money, uh, money and children and power are three things <laughs> that, and, and animals, uh, where people's true character tends to come out. Uh, but I thought that was nicely put. The disposition of money unmasks humans. And what I think what Warren was talking about there was that uh, a lot of the shareholders in Berkshire Hathaway have signed up for the giving pledge and they're giving away their their outsized fortunes um, rather than create dynasties um, and pass it on. Yeah. So and and Buffett goes on to say he likes managing a company where his shareholders share that same kind of mentality. Um, another quote from Warren, our goal in both forms of ownership, talking about owning 100% of businesses or owning a just a stake in them in publicly traded companies, is to make meaningful investments in businesses with both long-lasting, favourable economic characteristics and trustworthy managers. Please note particularly that we own publicly traded stocks based on our expectations about their long-term business performance not because we view them as vehicles for adroit purchases and sales. That point is crucial. Charlie and I are not stock pickers. We are business pickers. Hmm. And, that, I mean, that is somewhat different to the approach I have. I'm more like an earlier Warren Buffett who was looking for deep value. But he's, the, the situation he's got is he's got you know hundreds of billions of dollars to invest and uh, he wants to you know, invest once and move on. He doesn't want to you know, continue to manage that investment and look for time to sell and all that kind of stuff. So he has evolved to invest the way he does, to look for long-term businesses. And he's quite happy to say he'd rather buy a long-term investment like that at a fair value than a business that may not be long-term at a cheap value or cheaper value. And that's the end of the free episode of QAV for this week. If you're a new listener, I just should let you know how this works. So we have a free episode every week, runs for about half an hour. We have a premium episode also every week. It goes for another 30 to 60 minutes, depending on how many questions we get. It's where Tony answers questions from our club members. If you want to check out the premium episodes and all the other benefits of being a QAV club member, which is access to the checklist and, and the Bible and uh, the private Facebook groups and the other comms channels that we have, invites to the dinners, Zoom calls, etc., etc. Just sign up for the two-week free trial and check out all that stuff out. You can do that at qavpodcast.com.au. Look for the um, free trial button there. And if you uh, like the idea of value investing QAV style but don't feel like you have the time or resources to uh, learn how to do QAV for yourself, think about signing up for QAV Lite. That's our relatively new service where we send you the stock tips every week. And then we also monitor those stocks in a portfolio. And if they become a sell, we email our QAV Lite members and tell them that it's time to sell that stock and what to replace it with. Check that out too. It's sort of a low effort way of doing QAV. Still better if you know how to do it yourself, I think, because Tony could get hit by a bus and then where are you? But, uh, you know, while he's not, <laughs> we can do this. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au slash light, L-I-G-H-T. That's it. If you don't want to sign up to any of those, just keep listening to the free episodes. And if you have any questions, uh, shoot me an email. You'll find that on our website too. All right, have a great week and good luck with your investing. 
QAV podcast is a production of Spacecraft Publishing Proprietary Limited, authorised representative of AFSL 520442, AFS representative number 00129217. Please don't make any investment decisions based solely on listening to this podcast. This is presented as general advice only, not personal financial advice. We don't know your personal financial circumstances. Please see a financial planner before making any investing decisions.